And turn first to Numbers chapter 32. As the text we consider tonight makes a reference to the history that is recorded in Numbers 32. Read the first part of that chapter, starting at verse 1 of Numbers 32. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Araroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrod and Nimrah and Heshbon and Aliel and Shebam and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, and this is referring to the land of the Amorites, that the Israelites, God had given the Israelites victory over the Amorites that were east of the Jordan River. And now after that battle has taken place, then these two and a half tribes desired to dwell in that land east of the Jordan River. And they say, picking up again, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land, referring to the land east of the Jordan, be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. The others were going to have an, an inheritance on the west side of the Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And he's saying to them, Are, are you saying that now that God has already given us victory over the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan, that you're just going to stay here and dwell here and have the rest go across the Jordan and fight against the Canaanites on the west side while you just stay here on the east side. He says, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. And that's referring to when the spies were sent out and ten of them came back with an evil report. And of course, Joshua and Caleb disagreed with them. But he's speaking to the Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh and saying that the they're doing something that was similar to what those ten tribe, those ten uh, spies had said when they came back, that they were discouraging the people. It says, when they went up 
unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he sware, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave thee, them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel, until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side Jordan eastward and Moses said unto them if ye will do this thing if ye will go armed before the Lord to war and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him and the land be subdued before the Lord then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. And just read that far. And then now we go to Joshua chapter 1. We'll just read the last part of that chapter, which is also the text. God had spoken to Joshua and had given the, the command to go over the Jordan, along with the promise that God would not fail. He said, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. So God had spoken to Joshua, the leader, who had been appointed to be by God to be the leader of the people. And now we pick up in verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, spake jo uh, Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, 
The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sunrising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures this evening. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we continue on in a, in a series on at least the beginning, the beginning portion of the, of the book of Joshua, not going verse by verse, but uh, certain sections of the, uh, of the book of Joshua, and going into and, uh, the promised land. And last time that we had the beginning part where we had the, the calling to go over this Jordan, the passage that we look at now speaks about the response, how Joshua and the people responded to the calling to go over the Jordan. In this book, we see that God's covenant promise is unconditional, the same truth we see throughout the scriptures. We see and we had we read about it back when we, in, when we were reading in, in the book of Numbers that there's a reference made to how they wandered in the wilderness when they first sent out the spies and then the ten bring back an evil report and God chastens his people. And what a multitude of people it was that died. All those years in the wilderness and all those people that had died. And now the time had come to cross over the Jordan. And we see that God brought them in as he said. That it wasn't the case that God said, I, I had promised that you would one day come in and inherit the promised land, but, you know, you people have rebelled against me again and again, and now it's not going to happen. As if, the covenant promise was conditional. And we see that God chastens his people. He does what he says he will do. And God's people do come in and, and take the land. Of course, we understand, too, that Joshua leading the people into the land, this is a typical fulfillment of the promise. We know that what we're being directed to have our attention to is the fact that Christ is, 
Christ is the one who leads us. He's the one that accomplishes the victory. He's the one that leads us. And that one day we will enjoy life with our God in the, the land when there's a new heaven and a new earth. We'll inherit all the land. All the land promised to us in Jesus Christ. And that there's instruction in these chapters about that. And our mind is to keep going from what we read here to the truth concerning Christ and, and his church. We see also that there is stressed the calling to obey. And the idea that it's going to be a battle and there's going to be much opposition and the calling is don't turn away from doing what God has called us to do. Be careful to do all that God has called us to do. So the idea of the unconditional covenant going along with that hand that we, we preach both. And we as churches are to set forth both, just as it is here. Bringing out clearly that our salvation is not dependent upon us or in any activity we perform. But also bringing out the many places where our obedience is stressed. And that we hear what God says, we know what he has called us to do, and we are to be diligent to do it and to call others to do it even as we see that Joshua does here, and as the people say that they will do. We also see that in this specific chapter, in this specific text, we take note also of the fact of the importance of the people working together. And that's another benefit of going through this section here is that this is a section that speaks of what Israel was to do as a body. And that's brought out right at the beginning here, where the two and a half tribes are told they're not supposed to just stay there on the east side of the Jordan and think, well, we, you know, we already have the land, our land here. You know, our God already gave us victory over the Amorites, and now we have this land, and it's good for land for cattle, and we got cattle, so we're all set. You, you others can go in, but we're going to stay back here. The idea was, no, they weren't to do that. They were to go over and help their brethren, which they said they would do and which they did. And then later on in the book, there's a reference to them coming back to the east side of the Jordan afterwards. So there's a reference here, too, to the importance of us working together. And there's an application of that to the work of the church. That God saves his people, and we're, each one of us has an important place in the body of Christ. And as we begin a year with society and working in our schools and catechism, it is brought out how we're to work together in the caring for our children. We're instructing our children together. The benefit of us gathering together to talk about the word together, how much we learn from the different members. 
and how we are to show how thankful we are for the other members that are there. And at times we may hear differing views. Maybe somebody says something and and our view is different than that. And yet we, we talk through it. We talk respectfully to one another. And we learn from one another that we show humility. And that we help and assist one another in time of need. The working together as a body. And we see that aspect of it is brought out here in in this last part of the chapter that they were to go in and and help their brethren. We look at this passage under the theme responding to the command to cross, that is to cross the Jordan. We look first of all at the idea of commanding the people. Secondly, the idea of fighting as a body. And then thirdly, the idea of the promising of obedience, even as the two and a half tribes spoke of the fact that they would do as they had said that they would do. First, as far as commanding the people, when Joshua received the command from God, he didn't ask the Israelites for their thoughts on it. He didn't stop to see how many were with him. How many are going to be with me? God is telling us to go across and gather the people around, the leaders around, and say, you know, well, God has told us we're supposed to go across. How many are you are with me? But what we read of him doing is that he commands with authority. And he speaks to what's referred to as the officers. They are thought to be some subordinate uh, messenger to some uh, officers in a position where they would receive orders, say, and then they they would also give orders to the people. And there's a reference in the book of Deuteronomy 20 to a duty that they had with regard to matters of the of the you know the fighting force and those are the ones that we read that joshua commands so he commands the officers of the people saying pass through the host and command the people so joshua commands these officers and tells them to go command the people to go through the host and command the people and he does so with authority He has been told to do this by God. And since he has been told by God to do this, he doesn't hesitate. He tells the people, this is what we're going to do. This is what God says. And this is what we must do. Now we know that Christ preached with authority and people were struck by that that when he spoke, he spoke not as the scribes. That when he spoke, he, he was speaking with authority and saying, this is what the word of God is. This is the truth. And so are we. Yet we recognize that when we, when we talk about how we're to preach with authority, and sometimes it's said, we're to say, thus saith the Lord. 
when we preach the word. And that is true. We recognize that there are some distinctions. There are, when we are confident that we know what God has said, then we speak, we speak that with authority and say, and say, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. We don't have any doubt about this. We say that about the doctrines that we know are clearly taught in the scripture. We say that about what God commands us to do. Now, when we run into those people who have not been taught that, we do also, you know, patiently show them from Scripture. And we are to be patient in our dealings with people, even the people that have been taught it and and who go astray. That we lovingly work with them, we try to talk to them, showing them the word. Bringing out, and if, if they're going in a way that they ought not, we show them from Scripture what they very likely already do know. But we show them again from Scripture that what, what you're doing is wrong. And we say it firmly in the idea that this is what God says. And we, we must hold to what God says. And God speaks through his people. He speaks through, he spoke through Joshua. You know, Christ was leading the people. Later, later in the book, we see how the Son of God gives direction to Joshua. And Joshua then was to direct the people. He tells these officers who are going to tell the people. The word of God is brought through the special office bearers in the church, the ministers, the elders, and the deacons, and also through parents. And when we bring the word, we say, this is what God says. And there's sometimes when we get a response, you know, that somebody disagrees with us and say, they disagree with us, that you keep telling me that I have to do this or that I can't do that. And when it's a matter, when it's a matter that's clearly biblical, then we point out, when you say that I am insisting on that, that we, your parents, are insisting on that, this is the word of God. Sometimes people say that about the elders. You know, the elders are always saying this or that. And the elders say, we're bringing you the word of God. Same thing with the deacons that the deacons will say, we're bringing you what God says. God has taught us in the word, and now we're, we're bringing that word, the word of God, to the, to the people. And we're not to pick just, you know, like certain passages that, you know, we'll, we'll embrace some of them, but then other ones we won't listen to. I mean, in this very chapter, someone might take the passage, I will not fail thee, the Lord is with thee, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Well, they find that comforting. But then in the same, in the same context, it says, 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do it according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and so on. Have not I commanded thee? We're not to say, well, we, we you know, find comforting certain verses, and we're to pro proclaim the whole counsel of God. We're to proclaim God's promise and the, and the command. That was the case then. That's still, that's still the case today. And we're to talk about the judgment upon the disobedient. As was mentioned here. You know, if the two and a half tribes say, if he that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken to thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. We talk about how there is forgiveness, even for grievous, grievous sins. When we come to God, he comforts us that we're forgiven. You and I have done things we're ashamed of. And we've come to God and we cry out for mercy. And he assures us that he forgives us. And we bring that word to our children, too. And when we see their sorrow for sin, when we see you children sorrowing for sin, we bring to you the comforting word that there's forgiveness for grievous sins that we commit. We talk about what we deserve, and we talk about what Christ went through. And there's forgiveness. Washed whiter than snow. And we also warn that those who walk impenitently, who hear the truth of forgiveness, and then they're going to decide, well, I'm just going to keep walking in this sin, and, you know, God will forgive me. And they're not turning. They have something that they're hiding. They don't want anybody, they don't want others to see. They hide it. And yet they gather to worship God. They gather for worship while hiding, thinking that they're hiding, that is keep being kept hidden. Yet God knows. And how grievous that is. And so we, we also stress the, the, the judgment upon those that do not turn from their sin. And we call people to repent. And the calling goes out to all of us. Turn from your sin. Comes to you and comes to me. Turn from your sin. Don't walk in that sin. Turn from that sin to God. When you know that what God has called you to do, then be diligent to do it. And we see that here too. That Joshua hears the, the command and then he's quickly commanding the people. That he's quickly telling them to get ready. We're going to go. There's not to be a delay. We say in Scripture, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. It's 
what we sing in Psalm 119. That's the way we're to be. We're to delay not. When we know what God has called us to do, or we know what we're not supposed to do, we're to be quick to do what we're supposed to do, and we're to stop doing what we know we're not supposed to do. Whatsoever ye do, you're to do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We are to run the way of God's commandments, so we read, as adults and as children. The specifics provide what he told them to do is he told them to prepare food, which is interesting, too. He didn't, you know, they've got this Jordan they're going to have to cross. And he doesn't tell them to, to build boats, but he tells them to prepare food. It was going to be the case that, you know, they weren't going to have manna. They did have, you know, they had animals, for example. But they were told that they were to, to prepare food. That's what victuals is. But that is food. And he tells them the time. Now, that's an, that's an example of a place where there are some times where you come across a passage where it is a bit difficult to know with certainty what is referred to. And different of God's people have come down on two different positions on what is meant by within three days. Because what actually happened is that the spies went out and then they... Then they hid for some three days. And then after they came back, then the people, as the people moved towards the Jordan, they stayed there for a while. So that it was longer time than three days. And the two explanations, two specific explanations that have been given, one is that the command in three days was a command that was given after the spies came back. Then he gave the command to do this and be ready in three days. Which means then that what we read in chapter 2 kind of would be going back in time, which sometimes happens in the scripture. Sometimes you'll read a story and then it'll say, now also what went on during this time, and then you actually go back in time a little bit. And so that explanation amounts to saying that what we read of in chapter 2 brings you back in in time, and then they come and they, they give their report to Joshua, and then Joshua gives the command about going forward, and that the, this command actually was after that. Some look at it that way. A second explanation is that he meant that they were to be ready to go in three days. It was actually going to be longer than that before they actually did. But within three days, he wanted them to be ready. And Whichever way that it was, it was certainly the case that it was relatively quickly from the time that Joshua gets the command that he tells them to get ready. And it was going to be a short of period of time that they were going to go over. And then he gives the command to the two and a half tribes. The, the tribe of Manasseh, if you look at where the tribes of Manasseh were, 
where the inheritance of the tribe of Manasseh was is that they it was joined they were joined together but they were on different sides of the Jordan so that the, you can see the Jordan and see part of Manasseh on one side and part of Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan River. And so that's why we talk about half the tribe of Manasseh, because it was there were some on one side and some on the other. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half a tribe of Manasseh were the ones that had said that they wanted to stay on the east side. But what had happened was when Israel came in, when Israel was in the wilderness, they, went, they weren't to fight with Moab. They weren't to fight with Ammon. They weren't to fight with Edom. There was land that they were to have. Those were the children of Lot. And those were the children of Esau. And God had told them that they weren't to fight against them. And then they come to the land of the, Amori, uh, the Amorites. Og, king of Bashan. And first, before Og, king of Bashan, which was a little bit farther north, was Sihon, king of Heshbon. And they, God gave them victory over those Amorites, which had some walled cities, and God gave them victory to the point that, that it, was a, it was total destruction of these Amorites. And that comes up later when we go into chapter 2. And Rahab says, we, we heard about that. We heard about what happened some 40 years ago when you came out of Egypt. And we, we heard about what you did to the Amorites. And now those Israelites are coming their way. And that the people in the land of Canaan and the people in Jericho were, you know, were afraid. Well, God gave them victory over the Amorites, and it was, as is said here, it was a land that was good for cattle, and these tribes had cattle, and they said, well, we'll, you know, we'll stay here. And then, and that's why we read that, we read that in Deuteronomy 32 and kind of explained that as we went along to see how Moses responded to that. that what they were doing, saying, if you're, you know, if you're not going to go across, you know, what you're doing is like similar to what the ten spies, and, and look what happened, you know, well, look what the judgment was. And then they respond and say, we will build sheepfolds, we will build fenced cities, and some of our people will stay here and then we will go our fighting men will go with you into the promised land and we will fight and then afterwards when the others have their their land on the and the battle is, is done then uh, as far as the battle as far as them working together as a body and they've given the different parts of the land, then they're going to come back. And later in the book, we read of them coming back. Now, it wasn't all the, the men. There were some 40,000 that went. And then in Joshua 4, we read of some 40,000 that went. And then 
as far as the men in those tribes, in Numbers 26, we read the number was considerably, you know, was higher than that. So some, you know, stayed back with the people on the east side, but that they were to send fighting men, they were to send their fighting men over, and they were to go, and not to be lagging behind, but they were to be, you know, fighting with the other men, helping their brethren and working together as a body. And we see an application you know, of that to the work of the church today, even though from a certain point of view, we may read this history and it can seem so different for us because we're not involved in some fighting with, uh, you know, with, with physical weapons. Yet we are very much fighting a spiritual battle and we are supposed to work together. And there is a stress upon the unity. It is interesting that even in the military, you know, of the world, the idea of that unity is something that is very much stressed. The idea that a, a group goes in and is going to fight, they're going to work together and they're going to help one another out. And that's an idea that's going to be stressed to them. That's just from a worldly point of view. There's true unity only in the body of Christ. And we're to help one another. That's the idea of the communion of the saints. That each one of us sees it to be our duty to use our gifts. Now there's an example of a command to bring to somebody. You could have somebody that doesn't really have much communion with the saints. Maybe gathers for worship, but then pretty much just lives apart from the congregation. And a question that could be asked is, or what can be brought to them is, it's your duty to use your gifts for the advantage of the other members. Sometimes a person says, well, I don't really know what I can do. Simply communing together and fellowshipping, talking with one another. And then the flip side is that we're also to show that we're interested in the other members staying around. And that we want to help one another and we're, watch, we're caring for one another, concerned about one another, and to promote that unity. And to do it today when there's so much of a, there's so much, uh, Evil speaking has taken place. We are to be promoting true unity. And how important it is for each person to feel that others are glad they're there. That they're glad when they see them there. And they're glad when they stay around and talk. That they're glad when they're there at the Bible study. And that they, del they delight to get to know them. 
There's others we know pretty well. There's other people that we don't know that well and that we try to get to know one another of different ages. That's important in the church. That's something that we're called to do. We're to grow together. By love, we're to serve one another. Not competing, but helping and assisting one another in times of need. Helping the sick together. And we do experience that, and we express that, that God's people and their trials, when we've had times when, when we've had a difficult event that has happened in our life, time of sorrow or pain or suffering of some sort, to have our brothers and sisters comforting us, it's a wonderful blessing. The deacons are helpers. We say that in our installation form for elders and deacons, we say that when the scriptures refer to helps, that it's making a reference to, to the deacons and the great blessing that we have in the diaconate. And looking broader, we're to help one another in a broader sense and we hear what's happening in sister churches in our own denomination or outside of our denomination. Other denominations hear about what's happening with us. They pray for us and we pray for them. And we look to assist one another as we come into contact with one another. That we're looking for others that we can help and assist. We're constantly, you know, looking to find them. And, and we rejoice when we do find brothers and sisters of like faith in different places or those that are desiring instruction. Uh, we're to work together. We're to encourage our young men to go into the ministry. Again, with that idea of working together and seeing the need for ministers of the word, And encouraging our own children when we see, when we see our children that, that we think that they should consider pursuing the ministry, and when the others in the church see young men that, uh, and you see their interest in spiritual things and talking to them and encouraging them, you know, a number of people that have gone into the ministry have said there were those that encouraged them, that spoke to them about the, you know, you think you should consider the ministry. Now, sometimes you say that to someone and they're confident that's not the Lord's will. But it's good to encourage our young men to consider that and to express our thankfulness for our teachers and how we work together in our schools and supporting our schools, supporting our school boards, and showing that in the way we talk to the members on the board, that we delight to work together and show our esteem of one another, that we live in the consciousness that we're in this battle together, and we've got different members of the body, different gifts, 
And God puts us all together in the body as it pleases him and, it, and exhorts us together to be busy at the work that, to which God has called us. And to not think, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing all right on my own. Like these two and a half tribes weren't to think, well, we're, we're kind of doing all right here. But to see the needs of the others and to help our brethren. And lastly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the, you know, saying that we will. We read that they answered Joshua and they said, all that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will, we will go. They said they would do it. They saw it also talked about the judgment that would come upon anybody that didn't. Bringing out the seriousness of doing what, you know, what God calls us to do. And their desire was that God would be with Joshua. And they said that. That their desire was that God would be with them. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Their desire was that God would be with him. And our desire for one another is that the Lord be with them. Our desire towards, with regard to the special office bearers, may the Lord be with you. Our desires with one another in the body of Christ, the Lord be with you. What a comforting word to say to one another too. That we're praying for you, the Lord be with you. Encouragement. Encouragement for Joshua, who had this task before him. You know, you wonder what, what, what went through his thoughts. God is telling him to cross. How is it all going to be? How is all the crossing of that Jordan? With their, how is that all going to be? How is it going to be when they run into the different people that are living in the land? Well, the God, God had already determined all things, and he told Joshua what he, the, he needed to know, that he would be with him. God had been with Moses. He would be with Joshua. What Joshua needed to be keeping his mind on was to be careful to do what God said. And when things get difficult, not to deviate. To remember what we had this morning and you think of when Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood, not deviating, crying unto God, relying on God, not deviating. Learned he obedience. And in the trials we go through, God is teaching us, and we are to learn. We're to learn.
and we have difficulties of different sorts that we're going through. God is teaching us, and he chastens us in love. We're to remember what we've said. God says to the two and a half tribes, remember what you said. God speaking through Joshua, and he says to him, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, you know, he brings out that word to them. He brings out what God had said to them, rather. And they were also to remember, as it's brought to them what Moses had said to them, they were also to remember what they had said they would do. And we're to remember what we have said that we would do. We make confession of faith. When we get married, if we get married. When we baptize our children. If we become special office bearers. What we say we'll do. Trusting in God. Conscious of the fact that it's going to be an ongoing battle. But saying we're resolved to do it and that we will fight against our foes and will look to our God for grace. And to thank God for the work that he performs in his people. The willingness of the people to go. That was God's work. That now at this time, they got ready, and the two and a half tribes said, we will go, that our fighting men are going to go. That was the work of God in them. That Joshua not only told them what to do, but that people did it. And that they went in. The work of God and his people. God gives us, calls us, and tells us what we're to do. He puts, he had, we have within us that beginning of a new obedience, and he works in us both to will and to do. And though we fall so far short of the mark, we are to be thankful and express our thankfulness for the work of the Spirit in the people of God. In us, as adults, in you children, in you young people, we are thankful for the work of God in you. Thankful for the work of God in some saints in our own congregation that are going through very difficult times and yet are remaining faithful. Thankful for the work of God in you. May we encourage one another and together walk with our God, with our mind on our goal, the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, O oh Lord, our Father, we are thankful, O oh Lord, for thy work. And Lord, grant us the grace to be attentive to thy word and what thou dost call us to do. 
We are so thankful that we know the covenant thou hast made with us is unconditional and that we don't labor as those that think we must labor to get in or to stay in Christ or that our salvation depends upon what we do. We know that our salvation is thy work and we have a desire to glorify thee. Grant that grace, O Lord. Strengthen us, strengthen our children to turn away from sin unto Thee, and to show their thankfulness to Thee in all of their life. Grant this to us, for us and our children and Thy people in all nations. For Christ's sake, amen.